My nightmare starts like this. I fumble with my keys and enter my apartment slowly. I have been out. Out as in my teeth are stained with red wine and I have a large duffel bag that collapses over my right shoulder. And I feel good. Good as in free. In this nightmare, I live alone. This is important. Soon, Theo barges in and I can see him. All of him. But there's a rage here that I don't recognize. One he didn't have before. One I think I may have created when I started telling my story. He grabs me, and it's then that I usually wake. Terrified, guilty, and disheveled. My head pieces together chaotic parts of him, of us. His tussled blonde hair, a worn out large jacket, baggy jeans, a half smile I kind of loathe. It is some time after three in the morning now, and I am awake, again. You may or may not decide to subscribe to Dream Theory, to the idea that there is some larger truth or compelling validity to be found in our subconscious. But there are dreams I have often, ones about my laptop slowly and painfully being destroyed by a bed of water, ones about my legs being so heavy that I can't move them very well when all I want to do is run, ones about Theo. According to Ernest Martman and Tyler Bresler, who together studied how dreams can systematically change after certain traumatic events, people who have experienced trauma very often then experience trauma-related dreams, dreams with intense images, but not necessarily replays of events. I see Theo for the man he has become in my mind. He is married to my fear. He is a shadow in the woods, and he is angry. I'm not an expert, but I have a feeling I know why this keeps happening. Theo never apologized for what he did and how he treated me. He never once reached out after the harm was done. I don't think he ever felt accountable, ever deemed himself responsible for my anguish. Perhaps knowing that we'll never be in the same room together, that his hot breath will never battle with mine in heated conversation means that instead, in my subconscious, the two of us play out conflict and tension the only way he knows how to. He listened. He simply gave the floor to me and listened. And what did you say? I just spoke. I told him what had happened. I told him what I felt. I told him what the trauma had done to me. I told him how it had affected my entire life. That. Everything I have done, everything I've written, every photograph I've shot from 1988 until now bears some stamp of this assault. This is Deborah Copacan, a journalist and photographer who, during the Brett Kavanaugh trials, was filled with rage at the insidious gaslighting that pervaded global politics and wrote her rapist a letter. It had been 30 years. He called her after receiving her words and kept repeating over and over again, I'm so sorry. It has been three years and I am crying. And it is bedtime and I am tired. I'm just so sick of this. Like, I just... 
I just want him to apologize. I just want to be done with this, you know? And he probably doesn't even give a shit. He's probably just living his life. And I just, I just feel like I'm stuck, you know? I just, I just feel like I'm stuck. Paul tells me not to hold my breath, that an apology is not coming, that him being answerable to my grief is some kind of pipe dream, a fantasy. Paul tells me that I don't need him to kneel, to express his regret, to tell me he has changed and that he's so sorry. And given the lengths and strides I've made, my desire to have him apologize has me curious. Why do I need it so much? For The Guardian, Ariel Leave, a journalist and friend of Deborah Kobakan, attempted to answer this question, starting first with the phone call Deborah answered on the night her rapist held himself accountable. What if her rapist hadn't responded with regret, Ariel asks? How would she have felt? This hypothetical gives me goosebumps because I think deep down I know what Theo will say. And I know this only because he has said it before time and time again. As I sat next to him in late 2015 demanding answers for why he treated me like this, he sighed and said with deadpan precision, this is what you wanted. I am giving you what you want. But it never was. And for people who have lived with abuse, no insult or bad word or push or prod ever falls away. Our experiences can be recalled at any moment. And, like relationship mathematicians, we desperately want it all to add up, hoping that, as Ariel puts, logic will prevail. I want Theo to see his errors. I want him to tell me that the truth he so often denied was in fact real but he won't i need to find that truth within myself in the park near my old home i lay on the damp grass with Lockie, who you might remember from episode two my iphone blasted camp coat between us and deep in conversation we giggled about not much at all as cars passed us by and it's then that we agreed fuck Camp Cope are really doing something, aren't they? Like, they're really doing it. Then, some months later, lead singer Georgia Mack released screenshots of her correspondences with Will Wagner from the Smith Street Band. They revealed attempts to gaslight her, to isolate her, to make her feel small. But her spirit, her courage, and her assertion to come out with this hurt had me feeling all sorts of things. Reading the exchanges took me back to an ugliness I remember well. But it wasn't just that. It was that she said, I've been told it was just a bad breakup. This was not a bad breakup. This was harassment and emotional abuse. I'd had the same conversation three years prior. At a big party in the South that consisted largely of Theo's friends, I showed up alone. I don't know why. I think I was trying to prove that I still existed, that there was a way to be in the spaces he had always been, but to be in them by myself, to be in them honestly. 
Women I barely knew crowded around me, having read some of my articles. They drunkenly wanted to bathe me in their apologies, to tell me that they believed me. I spent the night politely smiling, nodding, and appeasing the second-hand guilt of others. I was a walking, bruised-up carving of somebody who had left an abusive relationship, and everybody wanted to know what it felt like to stand close by. It was then that I sat down with a close friend of Theo's, a man who I was always fond of, somebody gentle and generous and diplomatic. We tried a little to chat about it all, and perhaps nervously, he interrupted me by stating that he will not be taking sides, using the same words that had been recycled from George's very own associates. It was a bad breakup. When I think of bad breakups, I think of pettiness. Playing I Don't Fuck With You by Big Sean on repeat, regrettable messages like I miss you or I saw you in line at the gas last night and I miss you or I hate that I miss you and I hate that you slept with that person when you did or I hate that you left me for a three month find yourself endeavor in South Asia, etc, etc. All bad breakups are kind of inherently laced with apologies. We leave because we're sorry or they're sorry or you're both sorry that it didn't work and then it ends. But that's not the case for people like me. On Saturday night, Paul and I sat quietly in the garage of our home while he played Noah and the Whale's breakup album, the same one that got him through the tail end of his last relationship. There's this moment after it happens, he tells me, where the two of you are lying in bed and you don't want to leave because you know that the minute you do, that's it. It's over. It's this, this simple statement that Paul says, it's over. This sticks with me. It's over. What does it mean for this, whatever the fuck this is, to be over? I'd tell Paul it was different with Theo, that I felt like I was dragging a dying thing around, that the way it leaked and bled out stained everything I owned. That by the end I couldn't hold on to it anymore. And instead, I let it rot in some grubby corner of the Heathrow airport. I felt lightness, but never forgiveness. I told Paul that abuse lingers, that it thrives and throbs, and it doesn't end easily even after the act, that it wakes you from your slumber, that it changes shape, that it hides and peeps and tells you that it never even happened. What I have come to realize is that the true essence of interpersonal abuse is that it is not one singular act. There is nothing for Theo to apologize for, and yet there is everything. Where does one even start collecting those dues? I know I will likely never get an apology. I know that it isn't hidden somewhere, just waiting for me to stumble across it, and then everything will be fine. I know there is nothing that Theo can give me that I can't find within myself. Nothing that he touches that turns to gold. But I also know that an apology would help me sleep, would allow me to rest better, would appease something inside of me that remains at a loss. But sometimes it's not up to me to tend to these wounds. And when there's nothing else, women have anger. 1.2 million women have responded to the hashtag MeToo and the number keeps rising. There's a lot of things I'm angry about. 
I'm angry that a lot of the time accountability is seen as some kind of luxury when it comes to abuse. I'm angry that at least one woman is killed on average every single week in this country at the hands of men they often know and trust and love. I'm angry that for the women whose stories are heard and taken seriously, they're very rarely women of colour, nor are they Aboriginal women who are 32 times more likely to be hospitalised due to family violence in this country. So Theo, if you're listening, or if anybody is listening that feels they have violence and abuse to hold themselves accountable to, pay it forward. Put your money where your mouth is. Give us less to be angry about, and not because you want a better world for your daughters, because they are walking, talking female fragments of you, but because there are women right now that need you to be better, to do better. You may not know their names, you may not even care, but it's time you did. One day, I will wake up to dreams of feminist rock shows instead, where people like Georgia Mack will headline and Lockie and I will dance to her songs, maybe even in drag, and we won't give a fuck. And maybe Theo will walk past and I won't even notice, or perhaps I will and I won't even care. And, you know what, I won't be sorry. There are two more episodes of Tender Season 1 left. So if there's anything you want me to tackle, please reach out. If you're looking to be a sponsor, feel free to shoot me an email at madisongriffiths at live.com.au and we'll get chatting. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Madison Griffiths. <laughs>